You're listening to the RHP Market Talk podcast from Royal Harbor Partners Wealth Management, located in the beautiful Gulf Coast of Houston, Texas, and serving families from across the country. Welcome to the RHP Market Talk podcast and a new year. This is episode number 15. I'm Natalie Pika. And I'm Glenn Royal. And together with Michelle Jones, we are the founding partners of Royal Harbor Partners Wealth Management. Today, we want to kick off the new year by setting the stage for markets in 2022. Wow, we've already been on a roller coaster ride for sure. Um, But we still believe that there's going to be a positive year for markets overall. And here with Glenn today, I just want to talk a little bit about what we think is going to be coming up this year. Yeah, you know, if we could just re-record last year's podcast this time (laughs) and use that when we were containing our enthusiasm, how great was that? Uh, But no, we're we're set up for another good year, I think, Natalie, but albeit with the bouts of volatility. Yeah, uh, well, we're seeing that volatility just in this week alone. Um, I think a great place to kind of start off is to give everybody some perspective in why we think the markets are still going to come out positive this year. Um, And so you and I have been talking a little bit about GDP, right? Pre-pandemic numbers and then what we've seen through this pandemic and what we're expecting through this year and maybe even into 2023 and what those estimates look like. Um, Can you give us a little bit of perspective on that? Yeah, let's, let's think about GDP in a sense of where we've come from. So prior to this pandemic in 2020, we were running two, two and a half percent GDP. And we, we kind of consider that kind of a secular stagnation. It's mm-hmm. not enough to get the economy growing, but not enough to, you know, pull us into recession. It's just, just enough. As a result of 220 and the, and the response by both federal governments as well as central bankers and all that wall of stimulus yeah. they came in, what we're seeing GDP, uh, where we took a dip in 2020 to a negative 3.4% gross domestic product growth, mm-hmm. uh, that bounced back sharply last year to 56 as a result of all that stimulus. But coming forward this year, we still expect growth. And I think that's a key thing is the growth rates we're looking for this year are close to 4% on GDP, which is almost double our long-term average that we've right. had. Right. So I still feel very good about the growth rates uh, just based on GDP and, and the, the consequences of earnings growth that we'll get out of S&P 500 companies. Mm-hmm. So we always kind of use GDP just as a kind of a marker for, okay, how's the economy doing? What's the growth trajectory look like? But we've got earnings season coming up and we're seeing this market, you know, pretty choppy in here right now. We're seeing some of our what we call growth stocks, a lot of the tech stocks kind of coming under pressure. Um, What do you think earnings season is going to look like coming up? Well, you know, it's we're we're rotating from the growth stocks to value cyclical because of the setup that's happening since June, December 31st in the bond market with rates rising so much. Right. So we're coming into this earnings season in a risk-off mode, which actually may make the earnings season do okay. Mm-hmm. We're we're kind of front running bad things mm-hmm. right now with this market's reaction. You've seen this back up in the 10-year treasury that's almost uh, you know, a quarter of a point, uh, almost 1.8%, 1.77 since the end of the year. Uh, and that's the bond market and the participants, the investors, 
that are front running the Fed before they even right. You know, the Fed hasn't even done it yet. Shot. Right. Yeah, they're ahead of and it. They've just jawboned it, as we say. Exactly. They just came out. The Fed in December spoke at the last meeting, and Powell said that basically because labor got so hot, they've had to change their their focus. Yeah. Yeah. Well, labor is a really good point. I, I read a statistic um, just recently, and I was really surprised. The lowest uh, the lowest jobless rate at 3.5% and the highest at 147 in unemployment uh, since the 70s occurred just two months apart in 2020. And I know we're looking for labor rates to come in, I think, in the next month or so. And we were already back down to 4.2 in November of this year. So, I mean... Those jobless rates, those numbers are looking pretty good compared to where we were in 2020. They were, and, and I want to throw a little history in here, of course, to know where we come from or where we're going to go. Back in 2008, the unemployment rate shot to about 10% during that banking financial crisis. It took a number of years. And the way the Fed got employment back uh, for the average worker was they took the balance sheet from about $1 trillion in assets to $4.5 trillion. They really expanded mm-hmm. how much money went out in the system to reemploy workers and get right. the economy going. Right. This time around, uh, I and, and I have my reasons. I can go into that if we want. It's my pet peeves, why, <laughs> why things are. You know, my portfolio managers have that. But um, what we're seeing this time around is uh, we went from that 3.5% rate of unemployment to almost to 14.8, nearly 15% unemployment like that. Right, instantly. It was, it was instantly. We, 23 million people were out of work at the peak of this COVID when this mm-hmm. pandemic first hit right. last, uh, in 2020. That now, because the Fed's expanded their balance sheet uh, double again from $4.2 trillion up to $8.8 trillion in assets, that's had the effect of getting this explosive growth of these stock markets, uh, cryptocurrencies, NFT, you, whatever you name it. All risk assets have lifted as a result of that wall of money. Right. And the consequences, we've seen unemployment come down to this morning uh, lower than the Fed might have expected uh, at 3.9. We're now below 4% unemployment. The Fed's long-run expectation is we're going to get down to 3.5% unemployment by the end of this year. The key with that is the participation rate. There's a couple of keys. One of, and so the Participation rate is still a couple percentage points lower than what we had been seeing, around about 61%. Um, and, and that's where we're unsure of what is going on in that space. Is it underreporting? We're seeing some evidence that perhaps the uh, Bureau of Labor Statistics gathering this last round, not enough participants responded that normally would to these surveys. Hmm. So you're seeing a little funkiness with the numbers, but uh, in a positive sense. So. Right. Employment is is done, and, and we, we we go back to the Fed's mandate. Again, central bankers of the world all have mandates. Everyone in the world, central bankers, has the inflation mandate to control inflation. Our Fed's the only one with the dual mandate, which fighting inflation but also full employment. They've met that first target of full employment. So now the shift is focusing on fighting inflation. inflation. You're seeing it in the bond market with higher rates. Yeah, so so let's talk a little bit about inflation. You know, last year, this word transitory got thrown around quite a bit. Yeah. And we, we've seen supply chain issues, um, obviously, that have also added to the inflation story. Um, and inflation's still here with us. 
It is. Uh, actually, here. next week we're going to get a print. Uh, in no, uh, the last print for inflation was for the November data, and that was close to a 40-year high at uh, 6.8%. Mm-hmm. The expectations for our next CPI print next week is going to be 7.1%. So extraordinarily high. Now, what we think about inflation, and, and that's the one call we really got wrong last year. If I had to go back and revisit, while we were right on the direction of the markets, we were wrong on inflation. And a lot of that happened because of the Delta wave. If you remember, that mm-hmm. occurred summer, and that just threw everyone back into shutting down the economy, followed a little bit by Omicron at the end of the year. Right. So what we see Delta COVID related is that um, it affected logistics, it, yep. af- it affected labor, and it affect- affected semiconductors, Right. So those three key components, we are seeing anecdotal evidence that they are improving. I still have a couple of other areas of inflation that's going to stay sticky and high for a while. And that one is is likely rents. As rents come up, we don't expect those to back off. So expect rents to stay high. But as logistics and all these other things, we do expect inflationary pressures to come down towards the latter part of this year. The other key thing to focus on, and we've talked about this before in these podcasts, is the primary driver of inflation is wages. It's labor, right? Mm -hmm. We're seeing wage gains. Wage gains this morning reported at uh, uh, 5%. uh, And that's, that's pretty strong. Now, is that a function of retail having to pay up for labor that's not coming back into the workforce yet? Those things are to, to be determined, but uh, I do expect those average hourly pressures to start to come down as more people uh, come back into the workforce. Mm-hmm. And the thing that's really going to get, you know, the positive that we could see this year is the pandemic becomes endemic and inflation pressures come down. Right. That sets us up for another good year. So what does it mean when the inflation number is coming down and the interest rate is going up? Well, okay, it's a good question, actually. And what what the Fed is trying to engineer by raising rates is to get the federal funds rate that they control equal to the rate of inflation, which we call a neutral rate. Neutral rate. Now, if I go back my history again, our last time they were in a rate rising cycle, which is good because Chairman Powell was running it, so he has experience of rate rising cycles, Mm -hmm. was in that 17-18 period. And you had a case where the Fed raised interest rates to where they were 1% above inflation as by compared to the 10-year treasury, that's that real rate of return we talk about. Mm -hmm. Uh, That uh, was the dinner bell for us to buy bonds at that time. Since then, these real rates have now come negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, you know, that's that's going to be the big buzzword. Will real rates come back up positive? What are real rates? It's basically, it's your purchasing power. So, what's the the biggest thief that we have that comes in the middle of the night is inflation. It erodes the value of the dollar and your ability to buy goods. Right. You know about it buying milk and bread. Yep. You buy gas. You know what it happens when gas prices go up. Right. It robs your purchasing power. So we're in a situation where. We are, are the nominal rate or the top line rate, the coupon that we get on the treasury 
is below inflation. Was about 1% below inflation, mm-hmm. and that's now backed off quite sharply with the rates coming up to down about seven tenths uh, below inflation. So we're watching that very, very closely, these break even rates of wh- mm-hmm. where we go. If I get back to that positive real rates again, we will be rebalancing our balance portfolios and running over and increasing the fixed income because I'm finally being paid to own bonds. But we're not there yet. We've got some ways to right, go. Right, right. Which is why our, our portfolios at the moment are still positioned a little heavier to the equity side. Yeah, 5% overweight equities. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I know we say this in almost every podcast, but it's just a reminder that sometimes what you think is the safest part of your portfolio, which is your, your bond component, generally speaking, can still take a hit. And when interest rates go up, bond values go down. And I just always want to remind our listeners that that's how the bond market works because exactly. it, it is what really determines what the economy is going to look like going forward. Yeah, so. yeah. You know, last year was a year we had rising rates except for the riskiest bonds, yep. high yield. Uh, the bond market was down on average. Year to date, we're down on average. Uh, you know, we, we finished a year, last year, I think the ag was down about 2.5%. We were down four tenths of a percent. I consider that a win in mm-hmm. the bond market. My hope is to be able to repeat the same performance this year mm-hmm. and, and keep this flat. Now, as I get out the next few years, and again, that real rate comes up, then you're going to see me extend maturities out right. and lock those higher positive rates in and, and uh, you know, de-risk the portfolio as a result. So let's talk about the Fed just a little bit. And like you just said, Powell's had experience in a rising rate environment. What what do you think the Fed's going to do, and how, how are they going to handle this? Well, I mean, the market's telling you they're going to raise rates in March. And, and there's two things going on here that I'm uncertain about, and we're going to have to see how it develops out. One is the Fed paring down this $8.8 trillion balance sheet. Mm-hmm. Are they going to let that run off? Or are they just going to stop reinvesting in new assets and just let it you know pare itself down, which is a way of taking liquidity out of the system, right? Right. right? Uh, and the other that's a really stronger force is raising that interest rate. So the market is forecasting the Fed, by the time they're through with this hiking cycle, they're going to go from a quarter of a percentage point of the current top end of Fed funds right now to two and a quarter, two and a half percent at the end of this cycle. We'll see if they're able to do that. Much like 18, they tried and they couldn't get there and they had to back off. So mm-hmm. time will tell. But we could see as many as three hikes this year, you know, starting in March. And a lot of this has to do with the Fed, uh, with labor being so uh, fully employed. Right. So and with inflation getting away. So I, I expect more uh, the hikes this year, two to three. The market's now pulled for three with the price action that we've seen this year. Mm-hmm. That's what you're, the market's telling you. And then you, you could see another couple in the in the following year. So. Where will the Fed take this Fed funds rate? They're going to take it back to inflation. So the the what we're looking for is inflation to come down as measured by CPI right. at the time the Fed's raising rates. And we're going to meet at that neutral point. And the Fed's probably going to have to stop. In the period in the 90s, a big part of my career, the Fed typically kept the federal funds rate one and a half to two percentage points above inflation. Now, I had a budget deficit that was much less at the federal government. There were different setups than we have today. So we're seeing the Fed really having a struggle to take that federal funds rate above the rate of inflation. So 
that's still very easy financial conditions. It still allows uh, companies to do things. But what it does do in a rising rate environment is it exposes leverage. You know, this is something I, I wrote about in this last report. Mm-hmm. Warren Buffett so quote, when the tide goes out, you see who doesn't have the shorts on, right? Right. And exposing rising leverage is seeing that. I think you're seeing it in there's a lot of margin debt, record levels of margin debt, and rising rates is going to um, it's going to cause some pain if you're mm-hmm. overextended in this market. You're seeing it a bit in the in the more riskier assets like crypto, uh, and certainly in investments. Uh, you know, noted portfolio manager Kathy Wood, she's a fantastic manager, but she focuses on innovative companies, namely in the tech space, mm-hmm. that are all on the future in terms of making any earnings. This is a thing we call long duration assets not getting paid anything today so you've seen her fund fall about 45 percent from its peak uh, uh, you know spring of last year mm-hmm. under pressure about down 10 percent year to date what we're trying to do to combat that and, and doing a good job is we've come back into as this economic cycle continues to evolve we've gone from the early stages now we're kind of going to mid-stage where the Fed's talking about raising rates before we get to late stage and actually do it. Right. Uh, it benefits early-stage cyclical uh, value stock. So you've seen financials take off. You've seen energy. And I would say there's some structural issues as well that's lifting you know, oil. Um, and, you're, and you're seeing it in materials and industrials. Uh, stocks like GE and Deere are right through the roof this year. Schlumberger, mm-hmm. we're up, you know, 15% year-to-date in those stocks. Right, right. It, now, I can tell you Microsoft, I can look at Tesla, I can look at all these Google Alphabet, all these mm-hmm. guys, and they're all down for this year. Mm-hmm. So I still like those big tech stocks that I just mentioned, um, except for Tesla, and I'm, I'm fascinated by Tesla, but it's not something I want to own. Tesla, give you an idea, I know I'm kind of going off the map here, but Tesla trades at a price-earnings multiple of 345 times earnings. So basically, I'm paying $340, $45 for every dollar's worth of earnings makes. Right, I can get Ford for 14 times earnings. I can get GM for eight times earnings. I can get BMW at five times earnings. (laughs) So what my question is, is, is Tesla, because I don't get... I don't get the rockets. I don't get the boring. I don't get all that cool stuff. I just get the auto, right? Yeah, right. By 2030, uh, Volkswagen, Audi, Porsche has announced that they're going to be entirely electric. You're seeing all the models come on board. Once Tesla's automotive group has to compete against this, the rest is is a traditional automobile manufacturer. Right, right. What happens to these multiples? I'm, I'm just really fascinated and curious by it, as much right. as I am about crypto. Well, I- so let's talk a little bit about that. I think what COVID did um, to the business cycle is it compressed a business cycle to a very, very, very short time period. We're used to seeing business cycles. So we're used to seeing innovators come online. We're used to seeing this is not unusual, um, them having to have competition and things like that. I think what is unusual is to see this business cycle compressed to this small time frame. So when we talk about what's the 2022 setup, let's talk about that compressed business cycle. What does that mean for Tesla versus Ford, you know, going forward? We're, we, we look at the value stocks versus the, the high-flying tech stocks. 
if if that sh- compressed business cycle pushes us to late stage a lot quicker, mm-hmm. that's going to hurt cyclicals because what it means is interest rates are going to probably hit that neutral level if not go higher. Right. We're at that you know two and a half percent Fed funds rate. That could be problematic. You could see stocks, um, the tech stock. I would I would expect we're going to see some pressures in the equity market, which is why we'll be rebalancing over to fixed income at that time. At that point. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. It, right. It'll be a little competitive one. The, the, what I don't know is is the end terminal rate. Of where will the ten year ultimately go? What's the what's the terminal nominal rate of the ten year? Two and a half, and this cycle's over with, and then we go back to where we were. Are we able to handle what I've in my time? Uh, you know, in my career when I started uh, in the business, I had. Um, the U.S. 10-year, this is pretty interesting, um, it was yielding uh, 12.4% with CPI at four and a quarter. Wow. And I'm looking at 7% with the 10-year, you know, one and three quarters, you know, 1.8%. Yeah. Uh, something's right. not kosher here, and I'm trying to figure that out, and that's what we're trying to get through. Part of it may be productivity, part of it may be the focus of 2008, my pet peeve that I started going on, and I'll tell you, is that I think Congress has abdicated their fiscal responsibility of managing the, the fiscal spending. Ever since 2008, there's been nothing but they, they come together when, the, when you have to and they're forced to mm-hmm. in a crisis, right. but then they completely argue and fight and they can't ever get anything done since then. Yeah. So it's been on the shoulders of the Federal Reserve to respond to these crises. And I think one of the reasons we saw such a huge spike in, in the Fed's balance sheet to go to $8.8 trillion, and, and that weekend when this came about us, uh, Greenspan, I mean, excuse me, Chairman Powell on a Friday said, well, things look okay, we ought to be all right. And on Monday morning, there was an emergency 50 basis point cut to the federal funds rate. So you, you see that kind of activity right. going on, and, and it, you, you, it, uh, it, it's accelerating the, what we're, we're going through, the business cycle, and productivity as well. You know, we just had our training today on this new office telephone system mm-hmm. where we don't skip a beat. You know, so much productivity gains have occurred in the last yep. couple of years. We pulled forward five years, and I think that's all supportive for assets. But what I think about at night at 2 in the morning, if people want to know. <laughs> Well, I think, um, I mean, all of this is really good information, but the reality is the setup for 2022 is a roller coaster ride. I think ultimately we end up in positive territory. Um, Overall, I mean, again, you can't um, deny what you see in in the markets and, and where we are in supply and demand and things like that. I mean, you know, everybody seems to have something on order right now that they're waiting for. They Everybody. Are. They are. And you're seeing some signs. That it's start. And also, you know, these big companies have had two years to deal with this. Right. They're, they can handle a lot better today than they did at right. the beginning. So right. front running of orders, you know, bringing stuff in so they're not short inventory. And the other thing I'm seeing is whamification. I don't know what you want to call it. But <laughs> let's think back when the COVID hit. You couldn't find hand sanitizer or mask anywhere, Right. Right. Well, now they're in the dollar store discount bin. Those things are everywhere, right? It happened right after that. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's going to happen with these testing kits for COVID? 
Mm -hmm. Government's just ordered up 500 million up for everybody to order, get to from the government. And they're going to be, uh, I imagine in a couple of months, you're going to see testing kits just all over the place, you know, 50% off and all Everywhere. that. So that's what we're seeing in the response is there's like a, uh, you know, inflation makes you go down and fill up your truck really quick or buy the groceries mm -hmm. and milk and bread. And that's what people are doing, the shortage of goods and the run out. And then the supply chain catches up. And then we're oversupplied, right. and right. then the prices come down. So right. that's one of the things, reason why we think inflation will come down, mm -hmm. is these the supply chain will catch up all these things, right. and they'll start putting excess right. supply in the market. Well, I mean, it's a feast or famine. That's that's also that's goes back. At. That's where we are right now, yeah. feast yeah. or famine. So that's but, just, I, one thing on the stock, though. I will tell you this: what I'm looking for there to kind of give you an idea, a rule of thumb. You take the earnings. And then plus dividend, earnings growth expected for S&P 500, roughly 8% this year. Dividend, too, gives you about a 10% targeted rate of return for equities, all things being said. Pretty nice setup for 2022. Roller coaster ride and all. Yeah, bonds, you know, hey, not, not too good on the bond market, but uh, nothing to be fearful of. We don't need abandoned bonds. They serve their purpose. They provide cash flow. Right. They are a store of value. But we're just not going to be making any money. Right. Right. Well, we want to thank our listenership for, for listening to us in 2021, and we want to wish you all a happy and successful new year. If you have any questions or would like to discuss today's topics, please feel free to contact us through our website at royalharborpartners.com. At RHP, we are passionate about planning for your financial future. We are devoted to our relationships with multi-generational families for the creation of successful legacies. Through our one-on-one -on -one conversations, we can help you navigate your personal wealth management and investment journey. How different will your life look with the right advice? Royal Harbor Partners is a registered investment advisor, and the opinions expressed by Royal Harbor Partners on this show are their own. All statements and opinions expressed are based upon information considered reliable, although it should not be relied upon as such. Any statements or opinions are subject to change without notice. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated, are not guaranteed. Information expressed does not take into account your specific situation or objectives and is not intended as recommendations appropriate for any individual. Listeners are encouraged to seek advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor to determine whether any information presented may be suitable for their specific situation. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.